For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, uh, we love having people who make booze in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to you, Dan. <laughs> so we're uh, very uh, uh, proud to have Joanne Godreau and Paul Circa of Circa Distilleries on the program. Uh, they make some um, very interesting premium spirits right here in Montreal. Right here in Montreal, uh, vodka, gin, whiskey. Uh, and uh, we might we might be sampling some uh, during the program, so we can we can definitely uh, tell you all about that. Later in the show, we'll talk to uh, FL Tax Partner Ernie Furt about rules on importing, exporting, and just generally doing business abroad. So that is on the way. But first, as usual, entrepreneurial news and notes of the week. Let's begin with something we've talked about in recent years, uh, recent weeks rather, and um, about social media and how. A lot of um, uh, social media activity is being wasted online, and businesses are sinking a lot of big dollars into their social media, and especially in 2017, not getting a whole lot out of it. Here's why. There's are two, new, uh, two separate news items coming out today. One, um, an Oxford study out of the UK finding that Trump supporters, Donald Trump supporters, um, are really monopolizing a lot of the junk news that's out there on social media more than any other political group combined. So it's not just, you know, an annoyance with Trump that I kind of we all have a little bit in various degrees. It's actually a phenomenon. They're taking up a lot of space online and they're taking away your space as advertisers. Well, that's it. So then businesses, no matter how small or how large, if you want to get out there in social media, if there's a lot more noise out there, then your your ultimate customers might stop tuning in. Yep. And uh, this is why, uh, story number two from today, Unilever, one of the largest uh, corporations in the world, one of the largest advertisers, um, threatening to pull their ads from Google and Facebook, saying that they have become, quote, a swamp of fake news, racism, sexism, and various offensive opinions, and their messages aren't getting through either. So that's pretty big. Interesting. Although, you know, people want that crazy news. They kind of thrive on it. It's like watching a car crash, mm -hmm. yet it's affecting business big time. So wonder, I wonder who will win on that battle. Yep, so that's interesting to follow about uh, how the sort of online advertising game is uh, is playing out. It's, um, almost, it's almost like the Instagrams of the world, you know, that are more based on photos and, you know, ultimately that that will lose out too. But uh, but certainly the new social media aspects, uh, new social media platforms or newer ones, not new ones, uh, might, might win out or you might have to be a little bit more selective about them. A little bit more creative too in how you try to get attention because if you're sort of competing against people with $100 million budgets... It's really hard to get your message across. Um, some news and notes now. Uh, let's big news out of from uh, from Scotiabank. They are buying a, a pretty big investment firm for uh, nearly a billion dollars. Jaroslawski Fraser, Jaroslawski Fraser, uh, that a lot of people know, a, a investment firm. Uh, you know, uh, certainly a pillar in the Montreal community. Uh, Nine hundred and fifty million dollars, I think that Scotiabank is buying. Uh, but I, I believe that you know that this story is is really about consolidation. It's about acquisitions. It's about the little guy going to compete. And we've said this before in the program where all the big peoples are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The, you know, the, 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 the Facebooks that are, that are buying all other social media platforms. Um, and it's, it's, it's what can the little guy do to compete? The reality is if you can 
highlight, if you can find something that differentiates you, if you can give your personalized service, then that's what will ultimately, you have to develop some type of trust. You have to develop some type of why factor, what to go to. So just be aware that the big guys are getting bigger. So the little guys, if you're going to offer a service, and I'm not necessarily saying in the investment field, but in in any industry, uh, you just have to make yourself very relevant, uh, rather unique, uh, almost, almost, you know, nobody states the obvious yet. Sometimes you need to state the obvious just to show that you're, you know, you're doing it as well. So find the ways to, to compete with the big boys. We haven't really talked about cryptocurrencies on the show yet, but this is something that, that applies to many entrepreneurs. So online digital currencies like Bitcoin, um, mixed reaction, I think from investors, uh, certainly a lot of institutional investors are shying away from it. And Goldman Sachs is saying recently that, uh, they are not optimistic about cryptocurrencies. No, they're not. And uh, actually, uh, Dan, I, I spoke about it on the program where we where we missed you for the week, and I, I focused quite a bit on Bitcoin. You know, that was when the Bitcoin was was at this, this huge high it was at uh, twenty twenty one thousand uh, dollars. Now, you know, it's uh, it it dropped down last week down to just below six thousand dollars. It's now closer to to nine thousand uh, eight thousand dollars nine thousand dollars. The question is, what is it based on? What is, you know, and, and, and what Goldman Sachs is saying is that essentially there's not enough substance to the currency. Uh, and they're not, they're not referring to blockchain. Blockchain is a different animal. Blockchain is, is, is more of, you know, for, for, for want of a better term, it's more, more of a tracking uh, mechanism, more of an auditing a trail system. Uh, but the cryptocurrencies, and there are hundreds, hundreds of cryptocurrencies out there, what do they base their value on? It truly, I believe personally, this is a uh, very much a, uh, you know, a, a shot in the dark almost, certainly with the hundreds of them. Yes. Has Bitcoin done a little better? Has uh, Ethereum done better? Uh, Litecoin is starting to, to, to gain a little bit, but the question is what's basing it and where, where is it, where is it really going and what can you put your, your fingers on? You know, there is a use for it. There's no doubt it is, it is the trend today, but we also saw it go from, a few hundred dollars to $21,000 over a very short period of time. And then we saw it go from, you know, and a short period of time, meaning, you know, year and a half. And then we see it going from 21,000 to 6,000 in, a, you know, a few weeks. So it's, it's, it's quite volatile. And the basis for it is, is still rather unknown. Now, Bitcoin has a limited number of, of coins that you can actually get. So there, there might be a supply and demand issue at some point. I don't know if we're there yet. Are there any businesses, maybe even the tech industry, um, who might be uh, who who might consider uh, accepting Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies? Well, I, I think it's uh, I think it'll be the industries where the mainstream financial institutions don't want to get into. Uh, I read another article, you know, is and it's it's a porn business, you know, or not, you know, or or call it products that would that would please the the soul or or beyond. Uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. That can't get their financing from regular financial institutions. They can't go get, you know, banks won't start financing sex toys, for example. You know, yet maybe the people that own their Bitcoin, maybe the people that are owning this uh, this cryptocurrency, they'll be a little bit more inclined to invest in some of the outlier type 
uh, type industries. Uh, they're certainly, uh, you know, they, they call it cryptocurrency bros in another article I read where really the cryptocurrency people, they stick together. They, they look out for each other. Um, and it's not just bros or some girls too, although very minimal, I think it's at least 90% men in the crypto field. Uh, but it's, it's something that, that if they're going to take a chance on Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, then they'll probably take a chance on some of the sectors that are a little bit out there. Finally, uh, one uh, story that uh, could offer some great advice from the Financial Post. Seven things small businesses should learn about retailing today from the pros. It's by Rick Spence, and we can just whiz through some of the, the points here. The first is uh, relationships. It's all about relationships. And it's relationships, and, and Dan, you know this as, as well as anybody else. It's it's not just individual face-to-face. It's relationships online. It's an entire entire management of all your relationships and all your visibility uh, aspects. So it's online, it's in-person, it's store experience, it's everything to do about relationships. You get it right, people will keep coming back. Put your best foot forward online. Yeah, that is, uh, again, about relationships, about uh, knowing exactly uh, where you want to be. It's The reality is most people start shopping digitally. And then they go to the store and feel it out. So if you don't put your, as they say, your best foot forward online, where I believe over 80% of the people start their shopping experience, then you're losing out from day one. Don't groan at the cost of differentiating. If you, as we said earlier, you know, the big guys are getting bigger. The only way for the little guy to, to get ahead is to differentiate yourself, is to create a reason why to come into the store. And if that reason costs a little bit more, better that than losing out sales and closing down. I'll whiz through them here. A couple of points on really upping your technology to uh, for better marketing and also for better uh, consumer engagement. And and really, we had uh, we had Stefanka Technologies on a little while ago, and that is a, an in store experience. It's body size. It's matching. You know what clothes fit your body style. So that is just the beginning of the technology phase. And finally, upgrade your values and your culture. People want to buy what they believe in. So if they want to buy, if they believe in your culture, if they believe in your values, if they believe that you are giving back to the community or the cor- being corporate social responsibility, they will come into your store. Never discount that factor. Yep. Studies show millennials insist on that, actually, when they talk about their brands. Uh, coming up next, we'll uh, chat with the folks from uh, Circa Distilleries, Joanne Goodrow and Paul Circa, and about uh, their local booze-making operation that is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you on today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, we're going to chat with Joanne Godreau and Paul Circa of Circa Distilleries. Uh, Joanne and Paul, welcome to CJD. Thank oh, you. Thanks. thanks, Dan. Nice to be here. So a young uh, local distillery, uh, you guys make premium uh, spirits right here in Montreal. Um, how, how did this start? Tell me about Circuit Distilleries. Well, first of all, I love the fact that you called us young. <laughs> it's, it's radio. You can sound as young I as you want. I think you were talking about the company. <laughs> um, I've been looking at uh, distilling for quite some time. I'm... I'm more of a spirits drinker. I started my life in high tech 
and uh, caught my breath, took a little bit of time off and went, okay, what do I want to do? Um, if you want to be a baker, you have to wake up way too early. Um, and I figured- and if you want to be a distiller, you want to go to bed way too late. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of suited me. Um, I mean, I certainly had an aha moment with a beautiful whiskey made by Kalila about 20 years ago. And um, that probably stuck with me. Somewhere in the back of my mind, it planted an idea. I don't know if that's where things start. Um, and so I just started researching different options and ideas and found this thing called craft distilling. I mean, at the time when I looked at the market, there were less than 200 craft distillers in the US. Now there are 1,700. So it's been a big boon south of the border. Canada, we're a little bit slower on the uptick um i mean things are move a little as, bit as we as we usually tend to be <laughs> we're a little more conservative um well part of it is and it's not just this industry every industry i mean investments startups entrepreneurship in canada although we have amazing ideas um, sometimes funding of those is a little bit difficult to, you know, to come on. So, um, so wait, so when you, and maybe before we get there, let's let the listener know. So circular distilleries, what type of product do you make? What so, are the various products? Yeah. So we're, we're a spirits company and as a distillery. And so we started off with, um, really the idea of becoming a significant whiskey distillery. That was, um, that was the kind of goal. However, um, in Canada, you have to lay down whiskey and let it sit for a minimum of three years by law. And so in the meantime, we went, let's show the market um, that we know how to make great um, products. And so we moved into white spirit. So currently we make uh, two different gins, um, award-winning, beautiful products, and also vodka. Our vodka is the first grain-to-bottle vodka actually in Quebec. So we're, we're a true grain-to-bottle distillery. We source our raw materials from farmers here in Quebec. It's very important for us to express the terroir. I mean, we have amazing raw materials. We have access to incredible uh, raw materials here in Quebec, uh, whether it's botanicals from the boreal forest, whether it's grains grown right here in Quebec. How long does it take to, or how long did it take you to get to that right recipe for the various products, whether it was the vodka, whether it was two gins? Is there a certain number of recipes like, okay, I got to my 30th one and that was it? Yeah, you don't know what that number is. Um, I mean, you would think that vodka, which is a single ingredient, um, should be pretty easy. Um, but when you're grain to bottle, um, you have high standards. It took us probably well over six months to develop um, the technique in making our vodka. I mean, we put a lot of care into it, uh, whether it's from the selection of yeast that gets married with the grain. Um, I mean, f in that case, we use a champagne yeast because it throws off exactly the flavors that we want. Um, getting to know your equipment, your still, you can make a product various different ways. So uh, that was about six months just for us to make the vodka um, and as long to do the gin recipe as well. Did it require a lot of special equipment when you first started? 
Absolutely. I mean, distilling is um, distilling is a specialized um, uh, manufacturing process. So it requires um, a permit, a license, both from the federal and the provincial governments here. Um, in Quebec, particularly, there are a number of hurdles that you have to get over. Um, it's an industrial operation. Well, you, there's no question the SAQ comes into play, but we'll talk about that's that a little a, later. Uh, yeah, that's, we'll talk yeah. about that a little later. <laughs> but certainly from a finance aspect, just quickly, you know, yeah. is it, was it, you know, is it love money? Did the, the banks believe in you? Uh, you know, how did, how did you kind of get money in there? I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of startups on here where they go, look, trying to convince an institution that they should part with their money with a company or, or a group of individuals that have no history. Um, except possibly their background is not easy. Um, so we were fortunate. Um, I mean, between Joanne, um, our third partner, who is likes to call himself a silent partner, but he's he's Italian, so you can't be, can't silent. be that silent. You cannot he's silent be, tonight. He's you cannot here. be that silent. Um, together with our own financing, the banks believed in the project enough. Um, and we were lucky enough to get some funding from BDC as well. So, so uh, yeah, listen, that, that's, that's definitely a different aspect, but then it's, you know, it's, it's about making it, but it's also about marketing it. It's also about getting on board. It's also about getting the SAQ. So when we, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about yeah. that. And, uh, Joanne's going to speak her piece so that uh, <laughs> she cuts off Love Paul. Love to share that. <laughs> uh, Paul Circa and Joanne Gaudreau joins us from, uh, join us from Circa Distilleries. And coming up, we'll also speak to FL tax partner Ernie Furt about the perils of importing, exporting, and just generally doing business abroad. professional advice with a personal touch consult fl fuller landau chartered professional accountants and business advisors click on flmontreal.com welcome back to today's entrepreneur a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives quebec business my name is dan delmar along with fl montreal's josh miller and this evening we're chatting with paul circa and joanne Gaudreau of circa distilleries a local distillery based right here in Montreal, um, just a few years old. And um, let's start. To, we we have heard from Paul, who's really had a um, a real passion about about distilling. Joanne, your passion is business. So how did you get involved in Circa? Actually, my passion is marketing, um, which I guess is related to business in one way or another. Uh, friends, for 20 years, Paul and mm -hmm. I uh, really decided to uh, you know jump into this project together. Um, I read the business plan, fell in love with the idea of the project, and, and just decided to leave my old world behind. And uh, I've had an entrepreneurial spirit for a really, really long time. So this just felt like the right time, and it felt like the right project. And one thing led to another. So let's talk about marketing of Circa. Mm. You know, you're, you're a new product on the market. How do you get people to know who you are? You know, it's not easy when you're uh, competing against people with very, very deep pockets. We know what a competitive uh, world this is. Uh, it really starts with word of mouth and grassroots marketing. I mean, when you're starting out, that's pretty much what you've got to work with. So we started with a community of four. We've now built it up to over 5,000 on Facebook. And, you know, we work a lot with press. We work a lot with um, ambassadors and, and mixologists who really, truly love the product and believe in what we're doing. And they've become our ambassadors. So you, I, I know the consumer buys your product today, but 
you know, did you get it through kind of the the restaurants, the wholesale? Like, you know, you're you kind of that go was to our business initial, first. Yeah, for... that was our initial go to market. We really decided that we wanted to focus on B two B and kind of work with bars and restaurants first. And you know, these are mixologists who have a talent to transform what we've transformed into a, a beautiful cocktail, and they're in the face of the consumer all the time, and they have a sophisticated palate. And we decided to work with them. We got some feedback on the product, you know, in the initial stages. So we engaged them quite a lot. And uh, so many of them just became our ambassadors for the love of the project and for the love of the product. So it, it's it's very important to have that kind of community behind you. Well, every now and then I like to think I have a sophisticated palate. So as I'm sipping there, <laughs> as do. I'm sipping the, the Circa gin, uh, I, I, you know, I happen to like it very much. Uh, you know, I, not that know. I drink that often. Hey, See, you've just become uh, an ambassador right so, now. So right now an ambassador for, for the Circa product. Excellent. What about, what about online? What about uh, social media? You know, does, does that critical. work for you guys? Absolutely critical. So, you know, social media is, is really about telling a story and it's ongoing. And I remember back in the day where... You know, the press release was the be-all and end-all. And I think communications have changed quite a lot. And we've engaged, you know, people just by telling our story. And, you know, the, one of the first postings was really the arrival of our equipment and, you know, the installation and the fact that we had, we were pouring cement on the floor, <laughs> yeah. you know, like just kind of getting the building uh, ready to ready to go. So, you know, you say, you say storytelling. And yeah. Storytelling is definitely something, and, and Dan, I'm sure you'll concur, the way to, to get your, your message across, the way to get people engaged. So storytelling, did you make that as, as really part of your, your plan for marketing as, you know what, Forget about just giving the name and whatever. It We're going to tell the story so people feel more connected. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, nothing is made up or we don't have an editorial calendar. I mean, things just happen the way they do. And, and we share what we feel, you know, the, the community is interested in. See, my heart skipped a beat there when she said we have no editorial calendar, which is something that we <laughs> we really <laughs> tell clients not to do because it should be organic. And it's it not authentic. It's just not authentic, yeah. right? And and I mean, That's you know, not the gin talking, Dan. That's no, it's mean. not. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, so, when things are overly planned, they sound a little too contrived. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you are uh, you are an alcohol distillery company in Quebec. The SAQ, Société des Alcools de Québec, has to come into play. You must distribute your product in Quebec. How was that experience? How long did it take you to get in? I'm sure there's a story behind it. Uh, I understand it can take a while, but they can be helpful. Tell us. Well, it's, it's our one and only client yep. in Quebec. Uh, same way the LCBO will be our one and only client in Ontario. So, uh, you know, the the idea was to work in parallel where you you become a private import initially when you're dealing with the, the B2B space. Um, and then you're applying to be on the shelf. So it works with a tender. And um, those things happen in parallel. And it can take a while. It took eight months for us to get onto the shelf. There's tasting. They have to make sure your product is good enough for them. Or there's there's an offer. There's there's yeah, tastings I, I, as well. I, I there's mean, the, analysis. There, there's an initial process that you kind of have to go through. And I mean, the SAQ is recognized around the world for their standard. Um, I mean, their their lab is exceptional with respect to maintaining quality assurance mm. um, and they're recognized for that but it makes it that much harder to get in which you is I guess, have, a good and bad thing it, it's exactly it it's, a, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword yeah. for sure so once you're past that hurdle then you're into 
the system. And as a small producer, I guess your challenges are to understand how this system works. I mean, the SAQ is a sophisticated retail um, organization. They, they took, they, it sounded like they, it takes a while, but did, at the end of the day, did they work with you? Yes. I mean, there may have been roadblocks yeah. getting here, but at the end of the day, did they work with you to try and, and, and get your product on the there show? There were some roadblocks blocks initially because, I mean, we were talking about the vodka earlier, and, and the vodka initially had a, a different profile, and it's 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 the first craft vodka out of Quebec. So when you're comparing that to industrial vodkas, you know, the profile is very different. As such, you know, we had a bit of a snag initially with the vodka designation, but they did work with us, and they wanted to understand, and they wanted to educate themselves, and, and they're working closely with craft distillers right now to try to get, you know, those products out on the shelf as quickly as they can. At the end of the day, you kind of work together, and you may yep. have educated them a little bit as well. Well, I think we're educating yeah. each other. I mean, we're all learning about this new world of craft, so, you know, it, it's working out in their favor because they're carrying very interesting products right now, and it's working out in our favor as well. It's. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot to tell about the story, and we only got a glimpse, but uh, it's been it's been great so far. Joanne and Paul, uh, they will also stick around to, to tell us what their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is that is on the way. Plus, FL Tax partner Ernie Furt on the perils of importing and exporting. That is next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L.'s Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And joining us is Joanne Gaudreau and Paul Circa of Circa Distilleries. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur in just a few moments. But first, F.L. tax partner Ernie Furt is back here, and uh, he is uh, going to stop by again to talk about imports, exports, and doing business abroad. And... And no doubt, you know, it's a minefield and when people are exporting and even importing and, and dealing, whether it's royalties, whether it's paying sales reps, uh, you know, across the border or other places in the world, there's there's a lot of misconceptions, there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings. Uh, what are some of the first things that come to mind, Ernie, when you're you're talking about that, that import-export aspect of, of business? Well, the first thing that you have to do is if you're exporting or importing, you got to contact an expert in the other country. You got to contact an accountant, uh, somebody who can help you with your business in the destination country. Uh, if you work through a customs broker and they'll help you import the stuff, they'll say you're registered for, for, for everything, but in reality, you're not. You're registered for import-export, which is what they care about. Another thing you have to watch out with customs brokers is you have to actually engage with them, ensure that your product is classified properly for duty because those audits are disgusting. They take a long time and they're very expensive because there's very, very few duty experts out there who know what the rate is, you know, what the composition of the material is. And it's important that you surround yourself with proper experts when you go country to country. Now, from a Canadian standpoint, at least for now, we deal mostly with the U.S. And we won't get into the NAFTA discussions, but we deal mostly with the U.S. So from, from a Canada-U.S. standpoint, are there certain challenges or, or, or little, little tips, little, little maybe misgivings that you hear that, that, that entrepreneurs should be aware of? Well, 
the U.S. does a lot of sales tax differently. They, they, they tax on a state-by-state -state basis as, as opposed to Canada, which effectively has a national sales tax. A lot of people read stuff on the internet that say, well, you're, if you don't have any connection with the state or you're not in the state, you don't have physical presence in the state, you're not subject to sales tax. This is the, the, the concept of nexus. That's the concept of nexus, which is, means a connection with, effectively. So what you have to do is you have to look at these nexus standards, and each state has different nexus standards. Take your top 10 states that you export to, take a look at those things, and make sure you don't fall off the table. Because effectively, if you're selling B2C, then you have no opportunity to get back that money if you make a mistake. And again, it's it's every state, like every province has its own, I mean, yes, there's HST, but every state has their own sales tax rules and regulations. Yes. What if you ignore them? What happens? If you get caught, then they'll send you a questionnaire. They'll send you a Nexus questionnaire because stuff gets imported into the state. They know that stuff gets imported into the state because they look at customs documents and they look at sales documents. They see where stuff is, is sold to. That's actually the question is where, where, where entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes they don't realize that these various government departments are actually looking at documents. Who looks at these things? There's a bunch of little people in each state that look at these documents. They... Every state ha is needs money. So because they need money, they look at stuff that comes into the state. They look at trucks crossing borders. They look at your own truck. They see the name. They want to see if it's registered in the New Jersey registry. It's not. Okay, stop truck. What's going on? Are there states that are uh, a little easier to work with or maybe don't have yeah, certain the, the, taxes? The, the states that are easier to work with are the ones that don't charge any sales tax. Which ones? I don't like, know say, them all. Example. There's like seven. Okay, a I, couple I, of them. I think New Hampshire doesn't charge a sales tax. Oh yeah, live free or die. They're for yeah. sure they Delaware? don't sell sales tax. No, maybe. I no, I think Delaware might. No. There, there's, there, there's all the states that don't charge sales tax have small populations. I remember that when I looked at it the last time. You know, the big states all charge sales tax, and they're all mean and they're hard to deal with. Certain states have voluntary disclosure processes; others do not. They change. You have to be very careful when you get into the states and go into and go in from state to state. So let's talk about uh, quickly about you have you're dealing with countries around the world or with states or not, and you have a sales rep and you're paying them. Challenges there. I mean, do you have to worry about how you're paying them and what you're holding, what you're withholding, and all that? Depending on the country, you have to take a look at the treaty between, let's assume Canada, and and, and that destination country. And you have to look at the powers of the individual. Does that individual have the power to contract on your behalf? You Meaning mean a sales rep. A sales rep. Does he have the full power to contract? Or is he simply working with a price list and he can deviate just a small percentage away and any real deviations have to be approved by home office? So maybe, depending on the country, that doesn't create Nexus slash permanent establishment, i.e. a taxing jurisdiction. If you have a showroom, if Circa Distilleries wants to have a Circa Distillery showroom, they want to display their product at a, at a trade show or somewhere in the States, does the showroom itself mean that you have a permanent establishment? Not necessarily, but it depends. Never, never the, black and white. No, it isn't black and white because for federal purposes, the law is the treaty. States don't follow the treaty. New York... If you ha if you go to a show on a on an annual basis, they could deem that you have nexus and you have to file a New York State return. 
there's so many more questions that, that we have around this table. We can't get to them all, but uh, thanks very much, Ernie. I know it's 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 a minefield, and, and everybody has to has to make their way through it. And as we approach the last moment of our show, I guess we'll we'll turn to Paul and Joanne and ask you guys uh, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, Joanne. Well, you know, there's days where you're going to feel beaten up. And um, this is you, not a Harvey Weinstein. No, though. but really, you're going to feel like you're really beaten up and you're going to have to uh, keep smiling. And I know it's tough on certain days, but uh, you're going to have to have a sense of humor about it all because uh, it's all about resiliency and moving forward. It does help when there's alcohol involved. Uh, that helps, too. Paul, Paul, what would you say? What would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I mean, this is going to sound incredibly corny, but. Um, you really do have to believe in yourself. You have to believe that you can reach that goal line, um, no matter what hurdles you've got in front of you. We've had a few of them. Um, yeah. I mean, they they come up every day. Yeah. I mean, you're constantly dealing with challenge. And they an move the goal line too sometimes. All the time. All the time. And if you if you lose faith in yourself, you won't you will never get there. Excellent. Thanks very much, guys. Dan, my quick takeaway, and I know it's radio, so we can't see, but the joke that was made earlier about Dan, about uh, Paul talking about his age is more about, you know, you're never too late to start with your best, next best, great, passionate idea. Yes. So entrepreneurs, doesn't matter how old you are, if you have it, go for it. Joanne Godreau and Paul Sirka of Circa Distilleries, thanks so much for stopping by and best thanks of luck. Thanks for having guys. us. Thank you. Thanks. And care. thanks to Ernie Furt as well at the FL. And back here next Monday night at 7 p.m. here on News Talk Radio CJD 800.